walking in a country road. The podcast is not dead yet. Hey everyone, it's the Camino Podcast. I'm Dave Whitson. It's been a long time. <laughs> I certainly did not plan for it to be this long, and I'm sorry about the delay, the interminable delay between episodes. Life catches up on you sometimes, and that's certainly been the case for me. There's been a lot going on professionally. But it's also been just a really weird year in the USA and in Portland, Oregon specifically. Portland, we had so much snow this year that we actually had 10 school closures, 10 days of snow-related closures. Uh, I'm a teacher, so this is (laughs) more than a little disruptive. And then that was followed by the rainiest February in Portland history. So it was quite a slog there for a while. And then more broadly, there was, of course, the election in the United States and the fallout related to that, which continues to unfold before us today. And that has had a really significant impact on on me, on how I spend my time and the kinds of things that I've been prioritizing. And uh, I won't belabor that now. I'll talk a little bit more on the back end if you're interested. But um, but it's definitely forced me to reevaluate some things in my life. And that's not to say that I haven't been involved or thinking about pilgrimage. I have been working on the newest edition of the Northern Caminos book. And you know, we have all the maps ready. We have a lot of the content prepared. Unfortunately, we're still waiting on our publisher to make some pretty important decisions about the future editions. So we're in a holding pattern and have been for months. But hopefully that sorts itself out. I've also been on pilgrimage. Uh, on spring break, I made a trip to Japan to walk the Kumano Kodo which is the sister pilgrimage route to the Camino Frances. And in the process, I earned the dual pilgrim distinction, which was uh, quite a bit of fun, and I'll talk about that more in a future episode. And I'm actually heading out the door tomorrow at 6 a.m. to fly to Switzerland to return to the Via Francigena with another group of high school students. And we've been training, we're strong, we're fit, we're packed, and we're ready. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think the Alps will be meeting us with heavy rain and wet snow, which is not quite what we had envisioned, but uh, you know, we'll take whatever they throw at us. So we're ready. Sadly, that means that <laughs> this episode, uh, not only long delayed, will also be the last one that you get from me for a little bit. Um, I hope to have uh, more episodes coming in late summer when I get back. At least that's the plan. This episode, though, is not focused on any of that stuff. Instead, the focus is on bicycling the Camino. I know next to nothing about that topic, and so I needed to find some people who do. And that's exactly what I did. First up today, you'll hear from David Landis, who's making a return trip to the podcast. David is co-author of the Village to Village Guide to Hiking the Camino de Santiago, 
and he is also the uh, person in charge of CaminoCyclist.com, which outlines all of his tips, tricks, suggestions, and expertise based on his experiences cycling the Camino Frances, something he did as recently as late last year. So the information is quite fresh. After David, I'm joined by Doug Wormy, who is a very frequent pilgrim bicyclist, and he has followed a number of different long-distance routes across Europe. In fact, as I speak, he is uh, in France uh, near the Le Puy route, and he's also a prolific poster on the Camino Forum, offering a ton of advice about biking, so he was a natural fit for this episode. Now, you may have no interest in biking the Camino, but I hope that you still find this episode relevant and interesting, in part because while we do focus some of the conversations on practical matters for bicyclists, we also talk about some issues of broader concern, like the biker-walker dynamic, what accounts for some of the tension between those two groups, and perhaps what can be done to improve the dynamic. So I hope that regardless of your interest in biking, you still find the episode to be useful and, and, and relevant to you. One last thing before jumping in. I have another episode in the pipeline focused on an interview that I did with Brad Gennaro, who is the author of A Soldier to Santiago. It's uh, recently published, and it's one of the more distinct and unusual pilgrim journals that you might encounter, in large part because Brad's story is so unusual. Brad is a uh, former U.S. soldier who served in Afghanistan, and Soldier to Santiago describes both his last, uh, his last period of service in Afghanistan and then also his time on the Camino Frances with those stories interwoven. It's a really powerful account, and uh, I had a great conversation with him, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with all of you. I, I apologize to Brad that I don't have it posted prior to my departure for Rome, that there will be a longer lag time than I would care for between conducting the interview and posting it, but maybe there's an opportunity here. If the book sounds appealing to you, then you've got a month or two to go pick it up, give it a read, and then you can look forward to hearing from Brad after I get back. So with that said, at long last, here's episode 30, Biking the Camino. Enjoy. David Landis is the co-author of the Village to Village Guide to Hiking the Camino de Santiago, 2017 edition out now. And he also runs the Camino Cyclist website and Facebook page. He rejoins me on the podcast for the second time. Thanks for coming back, David. Thanks. Great to be here. So you've hiked and taken a bike on the Camino. Why bike the Camino? Well, it's a very different experience than, than walking the Camino. I mean, I think you bike the Camino partly because you love biking. Like you, you, you love being out there. You love riding. And it's really a great route to ride. Um, mm -hmm. Of course it is to walk, and most people do walk it. But there are a sizable number of people that are doing the Camino by bike as well now. Um, I, I think a lot of people choose to ride the Camino because their time is limited as well. Um, you can ride the whole Camino Frances to finish there in about two weeks mm -hmm. versus what's usually five weeks if you're on foot. 
And I also think, you know, the Camino as a, a bicycle route has a great infrastructure for people traveling on a bike, on foot, with the albergue system, all of the travel services. If you look at it just as a bike trip, it's actually one of the best serviced routes, I think, around. Hmm. Which, you know, you may not think about if you're thinking of it from Walker's perspective, but from a cyclist perspective, it allows you to travel very light. Um, you don't need to camp. You know, that's a lot of the gear you would tra- carry on a traditional bike tour. And it's easy to combine with a longer bicycle tour in Europe, which a lot of cyclists do as well. Hmm. So do you need to be a good bicyclist to do the Camino on bike? I think you should be an experienced bicyclist. I I do think it's very possible if you are somewhat of a beginner and, you know, if if you're in good fitness or average fitness, but it is a challenging ride physically. Mm-hmm. And I mean, depending which route you take, if you, if you stay more on the walking paths, um, a lot of those are sort of mountain bike oriented or, or you can also take the roads. I mean, 40% of the Camino is, is a paved surface anyway. So you're going to be on the road as well, but um, you should be reasonably fit and you should have enough experience to ride safely. Mm-hmm. But do you have to be a professional cyclist? Definitely not. And you know, also the beginning and the end of the Camino Frances are much more hilly than the central part. Some people will just ride the Meseta because it's flat, it's simple, it's faster, mm-hmm. and then walk the parts where the riding would be more challenging. You mentioned the decision to follow the trail or alternately go along the road. What are the advantages or disadvantages of following the you know, quote, official Camino on a mountain bike as opposed to following alternate roads on a road bike? Well, I think the advantages of staying on the official route, and I tried to do this when I rode just mostly for the experience to understand it. I mean, the advantage is you're on the actual route. You're closer to the historical sites. I think you're closer to the better, you know, the original experience in a way, Mm -hmm. other than the fact that you're on the bike. Um, But I think one of the biggest practical things is that's the way that's marked with yellow arrows and with (laughs) signs. And um, I'd often encounter cyclists trying to find their way back to the markings who had taken a road detour. Mm. And, you know, it just it's not impossible. Of course, you can ride the road and connect to the same villages and cities, but you have to just be more aware of navigation and also of cars. If you're going to take the roads, you probably are less safe than if you're on the the official route, per se, which keeps walkers and cyclists and everyone away from the car traffic for safety. So if you're on the road, you will go faster, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, your your climbs will be more graded, but you, you're on a different route. You're not on a waymarked route like the walking official route is. And I think also if you're on the roads versus the, the Camino, I mean, it is an advantage you won't be sharing, again, with the walkers that can sometimes, you know, cause um, obstacles, conflicts, these <laughs> kinds of things. Um, but you're sharing it with cars. And for a lot of cyclists, it's much more scary to share a route with a car than with a hiker. So, yeah, it's something to think about. You said that you, you tried to follow the trail the whole way. Were there places where it is just simply not passable for a bicyclist? Yeah, I mean, not passable is kind of a relative term for, <laughs> for cyclists. You know, some people say anything is possible on a bicycle, and that is in one way true. But there are a few places where uh, I I remember from walking and from the stuff I read, did avoid a few really steep, rugged trails that were either uphill or downhill. Mm -hmm. And I've listed those on the website and tried to 
you know, make that information available. And usually there is a road detour. And it's also not that big of a deal to just, you know, get off your bike and push it alongside. <laughs> if something's rough, like don't, you don't have to, you know, be on your bike every single inch of the way. So, but yeah, usually there is a road option. Um, especially for the descents, I would advise people taking the road where the trail is really rough mm. just for, for your experience, for your bike's experience, for the walker's experience. Um, you're going much faster downhill and all those, those areas become rough. And once in a while you have like a set of stairs that, you know, <laughs> rises ahead of you. You're probably going to pick up your bike and carry it up those steps, that kind of thing. That's normal though in any kind of route like this for a cyclist. Yeah. All the more reason for it to be light. So with that in mind, along with the decision, you know, are you going to have a road bike or a mountain bike? What are the other big decisions that a cycling pilgrim needs to make about their trip prior to departing from home? Sure. I mean, there's there's always the first practical questions. You know, how much time do I have? Where do I want to go? That kind of stuff. But that aside, um, I do think, like you said, which surface do I want to ride on the trails or the roads primarily determines what kind of bike. That's a huge decision for sure. Mm -hmm. Um but then I think the biggest one decision people have to figure out is, do I rent a bike in Spain or do I bring my own bike? Because that's a very complex logistical hmm. process depending on how you want to do it. And I think this depends where you're from. If you're flying into Europe, you have a different scenario versus um, if you can mail your bike from within Europe or take a train from within Europe mm -hmm. to get your bike to the Camino. But I, I think most people are actually uh, renting a bike to ride the Camino. And I, I would actually advise this for most people unless you definitely want your own bike because you avoid the airline fees, the packaging process, the packaging fees. Um, and if you're technically able, you can do all this yourself, but you're still gonna pay extra to fly your bike to Spain. Mm -hmm. um, where if you rent a bike, you get a bike that's probably worth $1,000, $1,500 delivered to your starting point. You drop it off in Santiago it's been checked by a professional mechanic and the the cost of renting a bike like that for about two weeks is not much more than the airline fees wow but a whole lot less hassle and you know your bike's been checked over so it's it's kind of a trade-off i brought my own bike i really wanted to do that mm -hmm. um, there are certain bikes that travel better and cheaper like i have a bike that avoids airline fees because it breaks in half the frame does comes back together. So there's a, there's a lot of different options, but that's the biggest stressful, I think, logistical question for cyclists. How do I get a bike there? Some people also ask about buying a bike in Spain and trying to resell it. I think that's more complicated than renting a bike and you have more chance to lose the money. <laughs> Plus, if you bring your own bike, you have to consider like, I'm going to be riding 800,000 kilometers on rough roads like that takes a lot of wear and tear on my bike on the brake pads if I'm renting a bike that's part of the fee that's included for the rental bike yeah assume it'll take somewhere and they're, they're good bikes most of the time so you potentially save money by renting a bike instead of bringing your own over yeah I think it's kind of a toss-up yeah and it depends a lot which airline you fly specifically their airline their, their bicycle policy specifically probably the person checking your bike in how they feel that day about you bringing the bike there's more variables but but still a lot of you know people who bike tour around the world always bring their own bikes because they trust their bike but mm -hmm. the camino is very bike friendly as a bicycle route there's a bike shop basically every stage if you run into trouble there's a lot of people around you're not in the middle of mongolia where if you <laughs> break your wheel you're in a much worse situation than if you're outside of Leon or something. So if you if you have your bike breakdown mid trail on the Camino, 
not a huge crisis. There's probably service not too far away. Right. Like I said, you basically pass a bike shop every day. I mean, you do want to be able to do the basic things, fix a flat tire or, you know, adjust if your brakes are a little too loose, you want to tighten them up, that kind of stuff. But you can get to a bike shop by catching a bus probably, you know, every day if you need to, if you had something catastrophic. If you have something minor, I bet if you sit there for 30 minutes, a more experienced cyclist may come <laughs> along and be able to, to fix something for you. And, you know, the cyclists are very willing to help each other out with these kinds of things. If you see someone on the side with their bike upside down, you always ask them what's going on and how can I help? Beyond the beyond the bike, is there anything else that needs to be sorted out that's critical prior to departure? Well, I think there's decisions about how you want to how you want to ride, how much time, where you want to go. Um, mm-hmm. I I think it's worth thinking about mapping out your accommodations and reserving them ahead a little bit. I think partially because it allows you to have more flexibility in your day and certain accommodations, albergues, hotels are more bike friendly than others. Mm-hmm. Many are quite bike friendly, but some specifically say we have an enclosed, secure place for your bicycle overnight, usually inside. And that's a lot of peace of mind for someone with a bike, traveling by bike. I mean, your bike is your lifeline. It's your companion. It's mm-hmm. it's very nerve-wracking to leave your bike in a place that you don't feel good about overnight. So what I did, and I wasn't sure if I was going to do this when I started, but I, I reserved places a few nights out um, just to make sure I get to one of those places. And then that allowed me to start late, start early, you know, avoid the times of day where there were more walkers on the path. And there's also a set of maybe a dozen albergues along the Camino that really specialize in taking care of cyclists. And I would really encourage people to to use these places because they're kind of, you know, they have that magical sort of element to them. They attract cyclists. They may have a, a place or a tool bench with all the bike tools you need to tune up your bike, hmm. uh, a bike washing area, these kinds of things, which they're just kind of like the extra care yeah. that can make an experience. How do people find those albergues? Well, we've listed them on our website. Um, there's a lot of information on, in Spanish about this because a lot of the riders are from Spain. So they are they are listed. Most of the, the traditional guidebooks don't flag them because mm-hmm. they're oriented towards walkers but we've tried to identify those you know researching and checking them out and uh, I visited and prioritized those a lot when I was riding last year nice and is it still the case that many albergues sort of restrict access to bikers until a certain hour in the day I remember this from walking. I didn't experience it as much as a cyclist because I usually took the whole day as well and right. came in pretty late. I think if you if you try to ride, you know, like a short day, like a 30, 40 kilometer day, mm-hmm. you get in there by 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, <laughs> they're probably going to make you wait. But that's partly why I also reserved places that advertise being bike friendly because I didn't have to worry about that. And, you know, it, it didn't create that dynamic but I think, you know, if you're walking and you walk 10 kilometers and want to stop ahead, that's, you know, other walkers maybe. Like, I walked 40 kilometers and didn't get a bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have these dynamics everywhere. But, I mean, I think especially the private albergues seem to be more flexible for cyclists with these things. Um, but it really just depends. I don't, I don't want to say there's, you know, sort of a general thing across the board because every place is a little bit different. Yeah. But it is important to have a place to lock up your bike inside overnight and keep it out of the weather. Like that's worth a lot. So I 
I'd advise people to consider that. Yeah. Having both walked and cycled the Camino, I'm interested in your thoughts on the relative advantages and disadvantages of each approach. What stands out to you? Like, what are the big advantages of biking over walking? Um, biking over, yeah, I, I thought about this a lot as I was out there on the bike um, and also walking. But advantages <laughs> of being on the bike, um, I mean, it's a really different experience than, than walking. It's like if you see it from the perspective of someone who wants to go on a bike trip, it's a great, a great option. Like you, um, you have all these services, you have this community of people there. It's super interesting. It's very straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, if you come at it from the perspective of a, a Camino pilgrim coming by bike, it gives you an ability to kind of be more flexible. I think with your days, you can go off route. 10 kilometers to visit a historical site without without losing a whole day yeah you can explore cities a lot better you know you're more flexible just in a lot of ways like that and if you need to go an extra 20 kilometers it's it's probably about an hour it's not like most <laughs> of the day so i mean depending where you are of course and how rugged the terrain is but i think that's what i've always liked about traveling by bike is just that flexibility you don't need a taxi you know you can just ride where you want to go you know, that's, that's kind of what I see as the advantage and, you know, being able to do it, of course, in much less time overall. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as a, as someone who's walked the Camino a number of times, like, I think that is really the classic way to experience it. And like, if you have the time and that's what you prefer, like, I think that's, you know, you sort of tap into this more historical, original Camino pilgrim experience that goes back a thousand years. And, and you, you get closer to the people you walk with, you, you would stay with them more. That community experience is definitely stronger when you're walking mm -hmm. and sharing it with those people. But that's not to say that cycling isn't a meaningful experience. I think it can be completely meaningful. It can be very challenging, you know, personally, physically, everything. But it's just a really different experience. You mentioned before the importance of having a secure place to have your bike at night. And when I try to imagine biking, I just think about always worrying about my bike being secure like stopping in a town along the way and wanting to go walk around and see stuff and worrying about my bike is that am i is that overblown or is that a legitimate issue that you you always have to think about the condition the safety the security of your bike i think you always do and that's natural because like i said it's like your companion um yeah. you know but if you're staying in a place in a town or a city that has good bike storage, you can you can rest easy. You just leave it there, and you're probably ready to walk around too. At mm. the end of the day, I've always felt much better at the end of a long day on the bike than at the end of a long day on foot. Because you remember, all the weight you're carrying is on the bike; it's not on your body. So your muscles might hurt more, but your joints feel pretty good generally. So I'd always feel like walking around. I'd leave the bike at the albergue. I could explore the city or I could take all the weight off the bike and just ride really fast around, which was also kind of fun. <laughs> but, but I mean, you want to bring a lock. I would lock my bike even if it was inside. I would always keep my valuables on my person as I would if I was walking. Just the general stuff that's precautionary. But I think choosing the right place overnight is important. Also, if you're riding with a companion or you make a friend, if you need to run into a shop, that's not in the town where your albergue is, you can also just say, hey, do you mind, you know, just keep an eye on my bike. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty normal for bike touring too. Gotcha. Anyone who has walked the Camino probably has certain thoughts about the bicyclists on the Camino. <laughs> and often there's a negative attitude towards bicyclists that runs through many of the walkers. 
how could this dynamic be improved? How could the relationship between walkers and bicyclists on the Camino be strengthened? Yeah, and this is a, a great question. It's probably one of the most important questions. I mean, so I think that to just start, like you have to remember that however you feel in this issue, like the Camino is kind of a route that's been open to all from the beginning, whether you were Christian or pagan or Jewish or whatever. Um, and it's open today for people on horse, on bikes and walking. The vast majority of people are on foot, of course. And, you know, this does create some tension when people encounter each other, usually unexpectedly. But, um, you know, my, my main advice for cyclists, maybe just to start with, is like you have to have a bell and use it and communicate with everyone that you encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, and do it with a smile on your face, regardless of how you feel. <laughs> like just just framing that interaction well, saying buen camino, saying, you know, coming through on my bike, whatever you want to say, like just make yourself known far away. Almost every person walking appreciates this, also because a lot of cyclists may not do this. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first thing I would definitely say. Once in a while, someone would be like, I heard your bell. Stop ringing it. But, you know, <laughs> that's, that, that was one or two people my whole trip. So better to warn people. Another thing you can do as a cyclist to, to work with this is because you're covering two to three times the distance of a walking pilgrim, you, there's sort of these bubbles of high concentrations of walkers mm-hmm. because of leaving in the morning. So you usually encounter two of these a day. So by timing your ride, you can basically get ahead of the second one by the afternoon. And you can kind of play with this depending on what your pace is. But generally, I found that after 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, there are hardly any walkers on the trail some places. So if you maybe start late or try to pass one of the bubbles around the lunch hour, you can get to a place where you may have the trail almost entirely yourself in the evening. And if you reserved a bed, then you don't stress about that. So that's one thing I found really helps just avoid any clogging of the trail overall. Mm-hmm. And even walkers might want to think about that too, if they're not you know rushing for a bed. So yeah, I think that along with reserving the accommodations was really important. And but a lot of it's just being kind and being nice as well, doing what you can. If if there's a good road option right next to the trail, like just take the road if it's a quiet road. I mean, I met this one Dutch couple that had ridden from their home in Amsterdam, and we were talking about this, and they made this comment like, you know, if you were in, in an albergue and you had the option of sleeping in the mattress or sleeping on the floor next to the mattress, you know, you would sleep on the bed because it's the better the better option for you <laughs> everyone's going to be happier you don't need you know to be like a purist to do the the hard thing by staying on the trail necessarily if there's a good option so you may want a break from the rugged trail to take the road anyways but i mean i wouldn't say do it if you don't feel safe but that's something just to keep in mind like don't be so extreme in what you do that you don't accommodate others and i think you know my advice for for people walking on this issue is again just sort of remember be open-minded and flexible and you know a lot of the issues that make walkers feel unsafe i think with cyclists you have to also remember there's cars around too and usually with warning people make space they see you're coming but if you're walking remember to be alert and attentive like you don't want to walk three or four people wide across a road (laughs) 
Like you could get hit by a car as well. It's just, this happens a lot. And I understand Mm -hmm. why. And you get in the moment in the zone and you're having a great conversation, but you're also, you're putting yourself in potentially a dangerous situation, especially with cars. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, don't focus and, you know, and have those conversations, but just be mindful. Um, Mm -hmm. There's also a number of times where I was trying so hard to warn people with my bell and saying, hey, you know, there's a bike coming. And I, I, you know, you get to a person, you have to basically stop because they have headphones on and music right. blasting in their ears and they're completely unaware of what's happening around them. Mm-hmm. And like, I, you know, I did that walking a lot too. And I, I, I liked that experience, but just remember, like, there may be someone coming up behind you. There may be people walking much faster than you even. Um, mm-hmm. So be careful with headphones. You won't hear cars. You won't hear bikers bells. It's a safety issue for you most. And I think another thing, just thinking about for walkers, just remember if you're going downhill, especially to not block the whole road, because if a bike's coming downhill, the time you have to communicate that is usually much less because Mm. you're going much faster on the bike. If you're going uphill, it's not so much different. You're probably walking faster than the (laughs) bike is going. Um, So, you know, that said, just, just something to keep in mind, some of the little things I thought about. But I do believe it's very possible for walkers and cyclists to coexist. You know, they're very different experiences, but there are also there are a lot of similarities. And you're, you're both on the Camino, you're both pilgrims. You know, you never know why someone chose to do something the way they did, but mm. I think it's good to just keep an open mind and, uh, you know, be courteous, be hospitable. And I, I don't think there's one way to do the Camino. I mean, I think that was the point of the Camino, that it it is for everyone. It it gives you the opportunity to do something um, significant for yourself um, in the way that is best suited to who you are and what you need at that time. That's well put. It's a a great, great question. Um, It's probably the most important question in some ways. So if anyone has any questions about that or wants to bounce something off me, I'd be very happy to brainstorm with them. Awesome. And how can people track you down, David? Where can they find you and all of your information that you've compiled about cycling the Camino? So in the planning of this trip, I compiled most of this information at CaminoCyclist.com website, and that's still growing as I kind of keep building it up. So I've tried to put all of this there. I'm going to keep improving that and adding more details about specifics of day stages and all, and, and the big question of like, how do I get my bike there? What's the best way to do that? Um, we also have a Facebook page, which is small but growing, and um, we kind of see that as a companion site to the our main website, which is CaminoGuidebook.com. Now we've we've shifted it over from hiking the Camino, and we're continuing to also expand that for more general Camino logistics and planning. But the bike-specific stuff will be at CaminoCyclist.com. Perfect. Thanks for making the time to talk with me again for the podcast, David. Sure, anytime. I'm speaking with Doug Worma, a pilgrim from Bend, Oregon, who has pretty extensive cycling experience on pilgrim roads around Europe. Thanks for talking with me about this, Doug. Oh, glad to be here today. It's great talking with you, and I'm really excited to learn about your your experiences. This is something that is new to me. I, I have never cycled on the Camino. So just to get us rolling, could you give us a quick overview of your cycling pilgrimage experience? 
Uh, yeah, well, actually, I've been cycling for a long time. I did my first bike tour in Scandinavia in 1973. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and I've biked all over the world. But um, in 2001, we went to Spain to uh, watch the the Spanish version of the Tour de France, the Vuelta a España. Hmm. And uh, we would bike from stage to stage and watch the finish of the race and all. But in researching that, we we read about the Camino Santiago. And uh, I had been to Le Puy, where the whole thing started, and my wife, Cheryl, had been to Santiago, where the whole thing finishes. And the more we looked into it, we're like, gosh, we really uh, we should watch some of this bike race, but we're going to have to ride on that trail some and check that out. <laughs> and then as we... Uh, we first crossed it. Um, it was kind of interesting. I crossed the Camino Santiago and saw backpackers on it September 10th, 2001. Wow. Uh, and then uh, the next morning we're getting gas and we saw the Twin Towers burning and crashing down from a television in a gas station. Yeah. So so that was quite a, a, a period for us. But we got on the route around Spain and after having seen the trail, we quickly left the bike race and started on the Camino Santiago and we were just enthralled with it the the trail the people the towns it took us through and we started actually slowing down to ration it we, we saw a sign <laughs> it said 400 kilometers to Santiago and Cheryl's like that's only eight days if we keep going to this pace we have to slow down <laughs> And then we realized we saw some of the maps of the, you know, where the, how it just extensive the routes are through all of Europe. And we realized we had a lifetime of, of projects to do here, uh, uh, mm. you know, cultural, historical research and uh, trails to, to see and uh, medieval towns to visit. And mm -hmm. uh, we've been doing, you know, a route every other year since. Uh, we still have a lot, lot of things to work on. <laughs> <laughs> what do you love about long distance cycling? It's, I think, much the same as walking. It, 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 you get your life down to a very simple, mm -hmm. uh, where you have like one set of clothes you bike in, one set of clothes you eat in. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know, whenever I get home, I look around at all this stuff. I'm like, what on earth do I have all this for? And you know, mm -hmm. is, is that those clothes? Those aren't dirty. They've just been worn for two days. <laughs> uh, so it's nice to get down to that simple life, and uh, and then the Caminos are also perfect because you don't have to plan much. You just follow the little trail markers. Mm -hmm. And this is going to take you to all of the greatest historic medieval towns uh, and in and out of them on a very, very carefully worked out route. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a, it's a marvelous package just to, to get on that trail and, and go. Yeah. And so there's, there's a, a, an ease, a simplicity, and then also a richness to bicycling on one of the Caminos that maybe doesn't come with some of the other long-distance routes that you've done in Europe. Is that fair? Yeah, it's interesting. There, there are people that, that look at it as a bike ride, <laughs> and uh, I think they do fairly well, uh, at least on the, on the main Camino Santiago, the Camino Frances, mm -hmm. because what I've written about that is that that's one of the finest bike trails you'll ever do where it's an extremely mediocre walk uh <laughs> you know it's on pavement double track farm roads and things that you know it's actually i think better suited for quality trail experience 
for a bike than for foot traffic. Hmm. The historical aspect is is really kind of overwhelming when you start to uh, dig into it. The best description I've seen of of all of this would be James Mishner's book Iberia, hmm. and uh, he has the final chapter of that book is on the Camino Santiago, and mm-hmm. he says that the Camino Santiago is the finest journey in Spain and one of the three or four best trips in the world. And this is a guy who's been around quite a bit. Yeah. And um, and it's interesting that he drove most of the route. <laughs> but he drove it with a priest who was quite a historian, focused on the cultural aspects. And that it is what really does make the the Camino special to me when you you read Mishner's descriptions of how a, a million people a year were traveling those trails in, in 1240 mm-hmm. uh, for all different reasons. They had somebody back home with cancer they were going to go pray for, or they had committed a crime and been sentenced to perform the pilgrimage. And you come into these towns that are you know so so old and have so much history. It's, uh, it's a pretty special thing. Mm-hmm. What's the rhythm of the day like for a bicyclist? Well, the cycling, you know, even at a, a very leisurely pace, it's 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 much more intense than walking. Mm. You know, you can walk five hours pretty easily, but you know, biking five hours is, you know, that's that's a good day. <laughs> so the, the cyclist, I think, especially on the 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 Chemin Chenzac Camino Santiago trails, we we start later. Mm-hmm. The the hikers want to get a long day and. And that gives them a chance to spread out, so they're they're not that many on the trail. And you know, we'll we eat a lot cycling. You know, we, <laughs> uh, the the hobbits concept of first breakfast, second breakfast, first lunches, second lunches. Uh, yep. But anyway, we'll we'll take <laughs> off. You know, uh, an hour and a half after most of the hikers, and we slowly catch up with them, and uh, and we'll have a pretty leisurely lunch, and then we like to bike into the afternoon where. A lot of the hikers start early and finish early. Uh, trails are, are kind of empty in the afternoon. Uh, some of that's our preference. We don't we don't stay in the albergues so much, so mm-hmm. we're not racing to get a room. But cycling, you know, you, you, you can't really bike eight, nine hours like a lot of hikers walk mm-hmm. uh, that easily. So we, we frequently have a good part of the afternoon off, mm-hmm. and... And the thing nice about cycling is then you can take a walk to relax, whereas <laughs> that's good. It helps your legs. And, and the, the other thing we find cycling is that it really does help to take a rest day once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, after a rest day, you get back on the bike and you feel like a million bucks. Yeah. And when I've done hikes, I've done you know some hiking on the pilgrimage trails and quite a lot of trekking in Nepal and places like that. Uh, it doesn't seem a rest day does you much good, and hmm. you know then you don't have anything to do on a rest day because you don't want to walk around <laughs> that much. Um, That's a good so point. So cycling is very nice that you can mix your biking from place to place with strolling around the grounds. Yeah, uh, and take a day off and explore castles and hike around. It's that uh, it works well for us. So is the is the norm about fifty kilometers for a cyclist in a day? Is that pretty typical? On a bike, the surface and the terrain affect you much more than walking. If if it's flat and there's a lot of pavement, you mm-hmm. can go very far. Whereas if it's if it's hilly, rocky, you know you might not go much further than someone who walks. So mm-hmm. you know, where I don't know hiking, we might do 
typically 15 to 22 kilometers a day. Uh, cycling, we do 25 to 100. Mm-hmm. But we, we usually average around 50 kilometers a day. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, like I said, about five hours. So that's, you know, we average mm-hmm. 10 to 12 kilometers an hour moving. So, you know, we're not going that fast. Uh, there's one important point here that is yeah. central to the whole cycling on the Camino. Mm-hmm. You can go on paved roads on a road bike mm-hmm. and roughly parallel the, the whole route and go to you know pretty much all the same towns. Or you can take a mountain bike and get on the actual trails. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge difference. Uh, the one year we, we went from Lapui to Santiago, we went to the Mass in Lapui, and we walked in, and it's, there must have been 40 people there in bike jerseys. <laughs> it was a Swiss club, and we just thought, oh, my God, they're going to you know, be all over the trail and, and using up all the accommodation and everything. But it turned out they were all on road bikes, mm. and they were planning on going from Lapui to Santiago in seven days, I think. <laughs> uh, and we were on mountain bikes, and we were going to be taking the trails. Yeah. And I remember the third or fourth day, we reached where they were going on day one. Mm-hmm. And I know the road that they took, and I just thought, oh, my God, they well, they've missed four wonderful days for a long day on a busy road. So I, I've never been a, a fan of the of taking the road bike. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think you have a vastly different experience uh, doing that. And we're always on mountain bikes, and so we're always on the trail as, as much as we can be. Yeah, so in the yeah. same way that there's often this distinction drawn between walking pilgrims and cycling pilgrims, there's also an equally meaningful distinction to draw between mountain biking pilgrims and road biking pilgrims. Yeah, in my view, it's it's a bigger difference. Hmm. So let's let's try to draw some comparisons. And I, I realize you haven't walked on uh, the pilgrim roads much, but you, you still can have spoken with many pilgrims and you're familiar with many aspects of the experience. And I'm wondering to what degree you can draw some comparisons between the two ways of experiencing the Camino. And, and let's let's focus, you know, on the cycling end of things, on the mountain biking, primarily following the, the road that the walkers are taking. What are the biggest advantages in your mind for a cyclist on pilgrimage in comparison to a walker? There are a lot of people that you know, cycling is just easier on the body. For example, my wife gets blisters so easily. The last trip in Nepal, she finally worked out a very elaborate system of wrapping toes and you know, <laughs> getting extra wide shoes. And, and she finally got a, a system. But it's a continuous uh, struggle to, to not get blisters. Mm-hmm. You know, and one extreme, there was a guy, uh, Hugh Hare, I'm a little bit familiar with. He, he was a climber who, who lost both feet. Wow. <laughs> Did frostbite. Yeah. Uh, he has prosthetic legs from the knee down mm-hmm. and he biked the Camino while his family hiked because, you know, he could bike with them uh, on a mountain bike on the, st- uh, you know, but he, it was just painful to try to walk that far in his prosthetic so there there i think the the biking can be uh, easier on on the body there are stretches of the trail that are more suitable 
for bikes and some that are more suitable for walking. Uh, you know, there's some some of the routes uh, that we've done really are very difficult to bike and are better to walk. Mm-hmm. And then there's other parts, like out in the Meseta, <laughs> uh, uh, where, you know, you're looking at a long, potentially very boring stretch of mm-hmm. of gravel road that on a bike, it's, you're just rolling through very nicely uh, <laughs> uh, go on forever walking so yeah it seems like yeah. the meseta would be a completely yeah. different experience for a cyclist yeah. yeah it's it's well there are people that like it walking too but sure we've done a lot of biking in canyon lands of utah and all and i remember when the mountain bike was invented i was just like oh all these roads that i've wanted to go and i didn't want to drive in a jeep and it was just too far to walk or uh are perfect on a mountain bike, you know. I think the Mercedes is sort of like that. It's perfect on a mountain bike. <laughs> mm. are, are there any major disadvantages in your mind? Are there things that you, you look at walkers and you're envious as you go rolling along past them? I, I have to say, you know, like terrain and then difficult conditions like rain and mud, mm. they're a nuisance to the walker, mm-hmm. but they're huge to a cyclist. Uh, we had one trip, we actually, uh, on the Via Francigena, where we... We, we ended the trip after uh, four days of hard rain had turned the trail to mud that couldn't be biked. Yeah. And the, the forecast called for eight days of rain in the next 10. <laughs> and we were like, well, we can move to the roads or we can buy a case of champagne and go down to the south of France, and which is what we, we rented a car, bought a case of champagne. We were in Rams, the champagne district, and abandoned the bike trip. <laughs> Where walkers would have been, well, you know, I'm sick of walking in the rain and my feet are wet. But that's, but I mean, our trip was was done as far as trying to bike the trails couldn't be done anymore. Yeah, you can only so, push your bike for so many days yeah, before you're yeah. you're over it. Yeah. Now there is a the whole concept of the communal community and mm-hmm. interaction with the other pilgrims and i think that's a personal topic but it's very to some people the, the most important thing of the camino santiago is the wonderful international group mm-hmm. of fellow pilgrims that you're traveling with and staying in the albergues and meeting people all along the way and and that's something that's it's interesting because that's not unique to the Camino Santiago at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife talks about backpacking around the Greek islands in the 60s where <laughs> every town and island you went to, you started running into the same people. And, uh, you know, the, the treks we've done in Nepal, you, you pretty soon have the equivalent of a Camino family mm-hmm. trekking through Nepal where you're seeing these people. So, you know, I think depending on the pilgrim, that's anywhere between – 10% and 90% of what the trip is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, there are pilgrims that just consider you know, all those people a nuisance and they <laughs> want to be by themselves and contemplate. Or there's his ones that want to see the towns, the history, the, uh, the local people. Mm-hmm. You know. So first, biking, you're going to have less of that. Uh, so you know, if you're one of the people where that's everything, that's uh, something to consider. If, if you're someone who, who's more interested in in seeing the country, the town, the churches, and the medieval villages, uh, biking is is just great. Uh, the other thing is, we do actually we every trip we've met other cyclists mm-hmm. that we're going back and forth with, and some of the walkers too. We you know frequently we'll we'll meet some people walking, have lunch with them, and uh, we'll have a rest day, and then the you know two days later <laughs> they've gone ahead. We catch up with them again, and we see we've had. 
I mean, we've had people that walk the Camino while we were biking the Camino that have come here to visit us in Bend. We've become, you know, good enough friends with them all. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a lot of times we run into them later in Santiago or something. So actually the, the cyclists may seem they're completely separated from the general community, but, but they aren't mm-hmm. uh, that much. And then actually, you know, 20% of the pilgrims are on bikes. Is it, so, that, is it that high a number now? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, my data, I, I was looking at it before we started this talk. My data was a little old, but, yeah, for, I had four years of data, and it was 20 to 22% of the wow. Compostela's were, were people on bikes. So there's a substantial cycling community out there that you get to know along the way. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I didn't realize it was that high. One of the things that you alluded to earlier that I, I want us to talk about is um, – <laughs> the the tension that exists between walkers and bicyclists on the Camino, and I don't know, hear as much about what bi- <laughs> what the bikers say about the walkers. But as a walker, I hear a lot of uh, what the walkers have to say about the bicyclists. And so I, I wanted to share some of those statements that I hear quite commonly, in order to get your response, your perspective as a bicyclist on it. Um, and and you know they're. These are critical and, and disparaging statements in many cases, often uttered, um, you know, by tired people as they are, you know, w- working their way along a trail. Um, the first one is bike pilgrims are dangerous and inconsiderate. I have seen that. Mm-hmm. There's really no excuse for that. I don't know what you can do about it. Uh, I will say that the worst people I've seen were local Spanish people. Mm. There's one group went by us once. That I found it kind of appalling. There were, it was a a group of cyclists, a lot of them from Colorado. They had two young Spanish guides with them, mm-hmm. and the guides were trying to show off their mountain biking skills and were just bombing down these hills, you know, <laughs> blasting past the pilgrims, and uh, trying to show what what incredible cyclists they were to their to their clients mm-hmm. and then their clients i asked them how they were doing and the one said well i think the biking's better around moab than here so <laughs> so i found that that whole group to be fairly repugnant you know here's here's a guide with no respect for the other people and then uh, a, a, a pilgrim who hasn't uh, any appreciation for the incredible historic trail that she's on mm-hmm. uh, you know i i've done six thousand some kilometers of those trails and have never even come close to hitting a pilgrim. Mm-hmm. And in one of the write-ups I, I wrote on these various trails for a forum, I said, be prepared to s- slow down, say hello, slow down to walking speed, say hello, and pass several times uh, an hour, you know, over and yeah. over again all day long. If you're, And it's probably busy enough now, it's the main... Camino Frances should probably be avoided by bikes uh, during the high season, and mm. they should, like I've said, you know, start late, finish late to avoid the cyclists. But I don't know what you can do about people that are, are stupid and, and don't respect the others. <laughs> I, I, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen hikers where they're walking four abreast, Yeah, and I pull up and I ask politely and Spanish, and then in English, and then in French, and then in German, could I please pass? Mm-hmm. And they stand there like 
no way are you getting around me, you know? Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that kind of antagonism is pretty uh, unfortunate, unproductive. <laughs> yeah. And and it leads into the second statement that comes up a lot, that bike pilgrims shouldn't be on the trail, that they should all be on the roads, they should all be following a different route, that they're just... The, the the Camino is not big enough to accommodate bikers and walkers, and the walkers should have priority. Yeah, well, as far as telling the cyclists they should be on the roads, uh, you know, I've, I've participated in a lot of dangerous sports in my life, rock climbing, <laughs> backcountry skiing. I've had friends killed in all sorts of different ways. Mm. But I have five dead friends <laughs> that have been hit by cars on the road <sighs> and killed. Yeah. And just yesterday, um, Michele Scarponi, a famous Italian bike racer, right. know, someone who would be as famous as maybe a NFL quarterback here in mm-hmm. America, was killed cycling. So we don't ride roads very much, and uh, you know they're they're dangerous. And uh, I think that mountain biking is a, a, a legitimate way of going. Now, I think another thing that people don't understand is that quite a bit of that Camino Santiago is not in any way originally designed or built for pilgrims. Mm -hmm. uh, Some of them were built by the Romans to get their chariots from place to place. Uh, But today, most of them are are used by farm equipment. Mm -hmm. They're double tracks that local Spanish farmers take their tractors on. And we're all guests hikers and bikers on that, and they allow both of them on it. Now, more and more, and I haven't been on the Frances for quite a while, you know, there are dedicated Camino trails being built. And in a couple of places, there's, you know, there's a forks where it says bikes this way, hikers this way. Right. Uh, I think that's a good thing. And as long as the, the cyclists, you know, are not asked to go out into traffic with uh, <laughs> the trucks and all that, that we, would, we always take the the cycling Mm -hmm. split rather than the walking trail but as far as bikes not belonging on the camino i don't think that any of the pilgrims are in the position to to make that call the you know the locals uh spanish people are the ones that decide that and it's it's their their farm tracks that we're all using right is how big of a problem are our headphones walkers with their their headphones (laughs) in not able to hear people coming up behind them yeah they are difficult. This is one of the other reasons, you know, you have to slow down and have a look at them. And, you know, we always stop and, and like I said, I speak enough languages to, to say hello <laughs> and whatever it needs to be done. And, and, you know, we try to go by them politely and you can't just blast by them. Even if you're going to lose your momentum, that's too bad. You, you need to pass walkers with respect. The, the one advice I would give walkers for dealing with the bikes is don't jump. Just stay your, your course. Because the times that, that I think people get hit is they look back and they try to jump out of the trail and they jump to the side the bike was going to pass them on. <laughs> and if you just go dead, you hear a bike ding, you know, or something, it's bell, don't jump to the side, uh, mm. you know, just hold your ground. And, and you know, if, if there's a route left or right of you for there to go around, that's where they're going to go around. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and the ones with the, the headphones can, you know, they've got their music cranked up, and you come by them, and they freaks them, and they jump. Yeah, and you know, you never know. Like an Australian might jump the different way from a, or Brit might jump the different <laughs> way from a, someone from the continent because we're using different traffic. Yeah, uh, you know, I just I pass people very slowly and with a wide berth, and that's not 
too much of a burden for it shouldn't be too much of a burden for anybody the third one that comes up sometimes is that bike pilgrims shouldn't be eligible for albergue beds and i i have had this happen where i'm i'm walking along i've been walking it, uh, a long way that day and uh a couple of bikes uh cruise past me and i get to the albergue and now it's full <laughs> and and I have that immediate like flash of anger, which is followed by the recognition that no, no, they are they're pilgrims too, and the albergues set their rules, and um, and they've had a they've had a hard day too. Um, but still, that that sentiment is definitely out there. And what's your reaction? No, I think that's very legitimate. Uh, you know, on a bike, the thing is, it's like. Okay, we have to go another hour, but in another hour we can go another, you know, ten or fifteen kilometers. Yeah, which will get us to another place to stay. Now, I like I said, we don't stay in the albergues much, mm-hmm. uh, so you're probably better talking to someone else about the subject. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I've never had to do it on a really tight budget, like when we were students and staying in the youth hostels and all. We 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 couldn't have, if the youth hostel was full, we'd have to day in the train station or something but but now we we can afford whatever alternative we we need so it's not a big deal for me i i don't resent giving the walkers priority i i know we we did the stevenson trail we were walking that we had a long hot 25 kilometer day and and some other hikers came up and uh were waiting to see if we showed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they'd been told, no, the rooms are all reserved. You can wait and see. Maybe they won't show. Mm-hmm. And then when we came, they could see and they all pick up their packs like, oh, geez. You know? <laughs> I've been on a bike where I had to push on an extra 10, 15 Ks. And mm-hmm. it's nothing compared to being on foot and being told you have to push on an extra 10 Ks. <laughs> it's, it's much harder on foot. So. Yeah. That is, it, it is discouraging. Um, are, are there any um, common complaints issued by bicyclists on the Camino about the walkers? Like I can under I imagine that the, the walking four abreast along a trail and being oblivious is, is not an unusual one. Are there any other grievances directed that way? Well, you know, being oblivious is fine. I, I've seen walkers who were not oblivious. They were aggressively blocking mm. the trail. Yeah. Oh, which is a shame. Is that, is that, Common? common is that no, is that a rarity common. it's yeah. not common it's uh I, i've only seen it a few times mm-hmm. though you hate that sort of anger being out there at all you know yeah. it, it messes up at least <clears throat> the rest of your day the cyclists the, you know especially the last hundred kilometers they they'll say oh yeah well we gotta you know go early or late or something because it's, it's going to be really difficult to bike through all the hikers right but you know, it's it's no different than when you come to a town and you have to go down a, you know, a walking street. Like a lot of times, we walk our bikes, you know, along sidewalks and stuff through town because on a bike you have to be you have to be ready to get off and walk and mix with whatever crowd you're among. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, the the walkers change our route and pace over and over and over again. But I think we expect that. Mm-hmm. And when the walkers are inconvenienced by a bike, they they find it. Uh, Something that they, they haven't maybe seen as much of. Yeah. You know, what, what's going to be interesting this year, I'm going to be biking backwards on uh, hmm. the, the Pui route for a, a day and a half. And we're doing a, a tour of the of the tracks of the Beast of the Shevadon. That's awesome. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll be using 
the Chemin Saint-Jacques for, for a bit of the trip. It'll be interesting going the other direction where the hikers see you coming rather than coming up behind them. I, I think it will be much smoother <laughs> to do it that yeah. way. So maybe that would be a good way for all cyclists to go is go backwards. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's much easier to manage yeah. in that situation. Yeah. Um, let's, let's wrap up with this. What's, um, it, let's say that people are listening and there are some people who, are, who have been thinking about doing the Camino by bike. What's what are a few suggestions that you would have for them as they go through the planning process? What should they be thinking about? First, I would say unless you're just a you know a road biker who's who wants to go for the bike ride, uh, um, you know, then you might want to do some of the road bikes. But but you should plan on going on the trail. And mm-hmm. if you like mountain biking, uh, and it's not a lot of it's not difficult mountain biking. Some mm-hmm. of the some of the more primitive trails are, but most of it is, is not. It's it's very nice, cruisy mountain biking. But you should be familiar with mountain biking, and you need to get a good bike and good bike rack. As a student, I worked as a bike mechanic. And I, every single day on these trails, I end up working on people's bikes. <laughs> I've gotten emails. I've, I've been called a lot of things, but there's one guy who explained to me that he had I don't know, prayed to St. James, and then I appeared, and I had this special tool to remove <laughs> his cog and replace his broken spokes and, and continued on. He was a Brazilian guy, and, and he explained to me, I, I, anyway, I'd never been accused of being sent from heaven to save a pilgrim, but apparently. <laughs> uh, so you want a good bike. They can be rented, or you, you know, can bring one. I see where people are saying, oh, well, maybe I could just pick up a cheap bike in a department store or something <laughs> like that. And I say, you know, I never have seen anyone say, why don't you just get some really cheap hiking boots at Kmart and maybe a backpack <laughs> there, too, because that'll work. But they say that about bikes. Yeah. You need a good bike. And then the rack that you put on that bike needs to be good, too. I was on one trip. There's a company called Old Man Mountain makes bike racks. They're, they're over $100 for the rack. <laughs> but I was on one trip with a group of friends. Every rack that wasn't Old Man Mountain broke on that mm. trip <laughs> one of the, i bet uh, 30 percent of the repairs i've done on the trail which have been people where their racks were falling off or breaking <laughs> wow the other thing I, I would say is practice with a loaded bike yeah i have seen so many of these trips where they ended in the first day or two with a crash a broken collarbone or something mm. uh, because people had never ridden a loaded bike in their life they plan for this trip forever. They do some practice training, biking. They agonize over what they're going to bring, and then they never actually ride it all loaded up, except maybe <laughs> like one afternoon before they go. And then they get out there, and they're on you know some difficult, loose, rocky stuff with uh, a bike they're completely unfamiliar with. That's that's crazy. You you need to you need to practice with your panniers, and uh, and then the other thing is you need to go very lightweight. Mm. Um, you know, Americans. Are among the worst. Our outdoor stores, they sell these trailers. Uh, <laughs> every cyclist you see, well, this is changing now, but has front and rear panniers. Yeah. Uh, and what we use is panniers that were made for the front of the bike on the back of the bike. Mm. And that's all we use. Two very small rear panniers, and that's it. If it doesn't go in there, you don't need it. <laughs> you know, we have to look at each other eating dinner in the same clothes every day for six weeks, but one set of bike clothes, one set of civilian clothes, maybe a, one extra set of shorts that 
for if it's raining and nothing gets dry. Uh, yeah. Your rain gear, bike repair stuff, and uh, and that's it. Yeah, that's uh, that's good advice. Um, that's awesome, Doug. Thanks uh, so much for making the time to talk with me about cycling on the Camino. Okay, well, it's good talking to you, and uh, I hope you have a good trip this next summer with your students. And uh, if anybody's going to be uh, on the Lapui route in um, the end of May, beginning of June, you see two cyclists going backwards. Say hello. That's probably <laughs> us. <laughs> awesome. As I said in the intro to this episode, I have obviously been struggling with making the time to work on this podcast and be as invested in the subject, the topic, the the issue of pilgrimage over the last eight months or so. And it's largely connected to what has been happening in this country, in the USA, um, in the wake of the election. The country feels as tenuous and unsteady as it has been at any point in my lifetime, aside perhaps from the immediate aftermath of 9-11, though in some ways this has felt comparable to that, as strange as it sounds. And when I think about putting in hours on the podcast or even on the book or even, you know, heck, the Camino Forum where I've spent a lot of time before, it feels self-indulgent and like a, a total manifestation of whatever privilege I enjoy to be focused on this when it feels like there are so many really uh, profoundly significant issues unfolding around us. And, and that's not to say that pilgrimage is, is just a luxury. It's just like a um, gratuitous um, thing that I engage in for fun. I, I know it has value. I know it even has some relevance in this particular climate, but I still have felt the need to prioritize other things over it. And so in my own life, um, particularly as an educator, I've focused a lot on connecting with rural parts of my state of Oregon, um, setting up a couple of different student exchanges with rural parts of the state, trying to connect my city with some of the different parts of the, the state that are focused on other things like logging and ranching. Um, and, and just trying to engage in, in dialogue, really working to understand how the world, the state, these core issues that affect us all are, are viewed differently or, or in some cases similarly by people within 100 or 200 or 300 miles of me. Um, I, I feel like if I can't even do that much, <laughs> then, then, you know, if, if we can't do something that basic, then we're all in trouble. And I, I think a lot of people have been stuck in the Facebook vacuum or in the echo chambers of whatever online communities they're engaged in. 
and I have felt more than at any point in my life that I need to be offline, I need to be out in the world, and I need to be striving to make connections with people in walks of life that I would not otherwise normally encounter. Um, like, we have to do that. And um, if we don't, if we can't commit to hearing each other out and understanding each other's lives better, you know, we have no hope of overcoming this polarization. And I, I do recognize that this is a potential benefit of pilgrimage, that one of the great things that I have gained from being a pilgrim, particularly on the Camino de Santiago, is coming in the proximity of people from different countries, from different parts of the world, different vantage points. And by virtue of the fact that we're walking together, we're stuck on this route together, we're sleeping next to each other, we're eating dinner at the same table together, that we fall into conversation. And frankly, because it is such a healthy experience, we're often in a better frame of mind to try to understand each other. So I see the power in that. And I see that as being useful and valid and important, even as the world changes around us. And so I'm struggling to hold that front of mind as I recommit to some of these passions that, again, still have value, even if they should be balanced, perhaps, with some other priorities um, that demand attention right now. But again, you know, even as the biker-walker polarization lays bare, you know, we have a hard time healing our own divisions, even within this much smaller community. You know, if we can't find ways to, <laughs> as walkers to stop othering the bikers, um, othering the the so-called Tory greenos, you know, the people who are pursuing a different walk than ourselves, then how can we work to heal the rifts that are more profound and significant and larger in scale that exist within our own home countries? So I feel like the biker-walker dynamic is such low-hanging fruit in a world in which we need to be working assiduously to build bridges instead of reinforcing divisions. That's it for this episode, episode 30. Thanks to David Landis for joining me. You can find his work at CaminoGuidebook.com and CaminoCyclist.com. And thanks to Doug Wormy as well. I hope the bike ride is going great. And thanks again to all of you for your patience. There will be more episodes. I will be back. I love doing this. I really am so grateful for the people who reached out during the long delay to make sure I hadn't died or anything. So um, there will be more. So bear with me. Um, and in the meantime, uh, I wish you all the best uh, as I head out to run eventually. Take care.